Hello and welcome to Mash Mouth, a podcast covering every single episode of the hit 1970s sitcom, Mash. I'm Vanessa. And I'm Ethan. Okay, Ethan. So you know how in MASH and actually in this episode that we're going to talk about today, they do a lot of like betting, I guess, like just putting money on stuff. So I wanted to ask you, have you ever won anything from like betting or a raffle or anything like that? Uh, I'm inclined to say no, but I probably (laughs) have. Um, If there's one thing we've learned from MASH is that like, uh, if there's something to bet on, these guys will bet on that. I just wanted to comment on that because there's so much betting <laughs> in this show. Uh, there is. But no, not like nothing really stands out. There isn't like a moment where, you know, I have won some grand prize or like a giant basket of things uh, at like some party or whatever, like wherever people <laughs> bet on things. I don't even know. Mm-hmm. Uh like raffle auctions i've never really gone to one of those uh my mom's won an ipad or an ipod once and like that was pretty cool but otherwise i i'm not known for my streak of luck (laughs) well i have to say that neither am i um i don't think i've ever really like won anything um no, that's not true. Oh my god. Okay, I just remembered this story. So one time when I was in college, um, they were always trying to get us to fill out these like, how is the college doing surveys? And it was always, you know, bad, but that's besides the point. Um, <laughs> So one time I filled out this stupid survey that took forever for me to fill out. It was like a 25 minute survey. And they're like, okay, you're gonna you're gonna be entered into a raffle for a starbucks gift card i was like okay cool and i won the starbucks gift card but (laughs) the thing was that i got the email for it the day the school shut down for covid so i never got the gift card (laughs) no that's amazing (laughs) by amazing you mean horrible i just i can't believe that i just remembered this story oh my god that's so funny okay that's hilarious curses covid (laughs) i get those emails all the time i think because i'm a disabled student they're like hey how inclusive is our school how comfortable are you are here take this survey (laughs) and i get those all the time and i've started them like five times and always like this takes too long they're always like half an hour surveys and they want like full paragraph questions sometimes (laughs) i'm like hey man school's all right Sometimes the elevator's busted for five months and I have to deal with it, but otherwise, pretty okay, I guess. I I can't believe that I just remembered that story just now because we were kind of lamenting right before we started recording, like, oh, we never won anything, but apparently I did, I just never got it. (laughs) You chose this topic with neither of us having a good winning story. (laughs) Oh, a little behind the scenes. We don't know what we're doing, so. <laughs> never. We never know. So, Vanessa, do you want to go from this to actually talking about the episode proper? <laughs> yes, I would. So, in this episode called Five O'Clock Charlie, the camp has been bombed so consistently so many times by this pilot that has comically poor aim. And they make a game out of it, of course, because that's what the 4077 does. 
But of course, again, Frank takes the situation way too seriously and starts demanding an anti-aircraft gun, (laughs) which would just put the camp in more danger than it's really worth. So, Ethan, what did you think about this episode? This episode, I thought was like pretty good. Before we watched it, you said that you hated this one. And apparently you mix it up with a different episode. But the mm-hmm, entire yeah. episode, I was I was waiting for it to get bad. I was like, all right, when's the, when's the thing going to happen that's going to make this episode bad? And then it didn't happen. I was like, oh, this one's pretty good. It wasn't spectacular, but I was still like, yeah, pretty solid episode. Uh, <laughs> one thing that I really took away from this is that how desensitized to uh, something horrifying, like constant bombing they are. Even if the guy's incompetent, there's a good chance that he could hit somebody. Maybe that was some nice commentary that they're so used to this, like, horrifying act that they are, you know, oh, we have to cope with it by making a game, uh, that kind of thing. But otherwise, you know, pr- pretty decent one. What do you think of it? So, like you said, I had actually gotten this episode mixed up with another one. I can't remember, actually, the episode that I got it mixed up with, so I don't know what I was thinking. But rewatching this episode, I really enjoyed it. Um, I thought it just the humor was fantastic in this episode. I laughed so much, like, more than I thought I was going to remembering this episode. I really enjoyed just kind of every aspect of it. It was goofy mm-hmm. and funny and just great. Well, isn't that a pleasant treat? You go in thinking, you're like, oh, I hate this one. And then you're like, oh, wait, this is pretty funny. No, this one was pretty, like, had some good bits in it. I liked right at the beginning that Hawkeye and Trapper were, like, in robes and being, like, fancy gentlemen, (laughs) like, betting on, like, the opera. That's how they kind of viewed it was, like, (laughs) oh, the opera's coming. Let's let's go observe and and cheer on our team. And, you know, uh, like I said, they make bets on everything in this camp, Mm -hmm. which is kind of crazy that they're betting on, like, where this bomb is going to land. Again, kind of horrifying, but they play it off so casually. I guess we have to roll with it. Because Frank is kind of kind of justified for being so paranoid about it because it is a bomb. But, you know, whatever. Yeah, I thought it was really funny in the beginning. Like you said, when they it was kind of like they were, you know, going to watch this really like regal sport. And it was Charlie bombing or <laughs> trying to bomb this stock of ammunition, which I don't think we knew originally, right? Like, No, I think that's like revealed slowly. Yeah, I, because... This is jumping ahead a little bit, but General Clayton comes and I think he explains that they have this stockpile of ammunition and Five O'Clock Charlie is trying to bomb it to make it so that they don't have this stuff anymore. But again, it was was funny because I thought that they were in kind of like more mortal danger than really they were, I guess, because I thought that he was maybe like trying to bomb the camp. I was like, wow, they really don't care that he's trying to bomb the camp at all, huh? (laughs) I did think it was really funny, though, that General Clayton was part of the betting pool. (laughs) General Clayton's like uh, the worst, dude. (laughs) So I guess we should give context a little bit for this. Um, So after Five O'Clock Charlie is, you know, it's kind of made known to the audience that five o'clock Charlie doesn't know what he's doing is never going to hit his target. Isn't going to hit the camp. 
basically they let you know that there's not real danger going on. But of course, Frank and Margaret want this idea of the war to be more than it is, I guess. And um, Frank starts to basically petition Henry for this weapon of war, (laughs) this anti-aircraft gun where it would like shoot Charlie out of the sky. And it kind of culminates from there. (laughs) One thing that I thought was really funny about how Charlie operates is that he was throwing the bomb himself by hand. I'm not sure if that's how like planes actually operated when like releasing lesser scale bombs. But I just think it's such a funny, weird visual of a guy having to pick up a bomb by hand and be like, okay. That's so low tech. (laughs) So many things could go wrong doing that. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And I don't know if like Frank is justified in wanting an anti-aircraft gun. Because on one hand, they are on paper being bombed consistently. And that's putting them in real danger. So it's reasonable to want some sort of countermeasure to it. But on the other hand, I do understand uh hawkeye and trappers like argument against it that shooting a guy out of the sky would make them more of a target it's an interesting dilemma this episode presents where do you fall like on it like in the moral line you know so i didn't really think frank was justified in wanting this gun i mean i could understand his perspective of wanting like more safety for the camp like if he had raised the issue of well, Charlie's a really bad aim. What if he accidentally like bombs the actual camp or the post op or something like that or bombs us when we're working? But he didn't really make that, you know, argument of why he wanted the gun. He wanted the gun literally just because he has this idea of what the war and the military should be, I guess from history and movies and whatever else. And Mm -hmm. it's just not that all the time. And I really, I really liked this subtlety in this episode of Frank being this driver of probably a lot of the audience just thinking that the war is this really big dramatic thing all the time when probably it's not all the time. And I also saw Hawkeye and Trevor's point of view that, you know, shooting the enemy out of the sky is going to bring attention to them that they don't want when they have people in beds just lying there and they're doctors you know they're trying to save people's lives not make them more of a target so i thought frank of course was just being frank as usual i feel that i think it was a little bit more nuanced than maybe you're giving it credit for at least i saw it as a little bit more uh complex because i i again i saw the danger in this where it's like even if this guy's got really poor eyesight and can't aim like you shouldn't have a bomb thrown on your camp all the time uh, but I, I understand what you're saying, because he even kind of haphazardly throws out, like, history quotes when trying to justify the gun. He's like, uh, he who rules the sky rules the war. So-and-so said that. And he's just kind of, like, using that to justify his own ends rather than, like, I, I don't think he really believed in in what he was saying. I, maybe he just wanted to play with a big gun. <laughs> That was another thing, too, of Frank throughout the whole episode was kind of, you know, taking on this really militaristic personality and quoting all these uh, military men and these generals and stuff. 
and he was not thinking about the actual danger that Charlie could have posed. He wanted this glorified version of shooting someone out of the sky. It's like, dude, you're a doctor. What the heck? That's a really good point, actually, because uh, Clayton comes to the camp and he actually is in the betting pool. I know you mentioned that, but I I think it's just something that should be reiterated that the general of the army is like, yeah, put me down for like so and so spot. General Clayton just <laughs> eh, he doesn't seem like the best guy. Um, but he comes to the camp and he's like, oh, I don't think a, a gun's really necessary. I don't think it's like needed here. But then Charlie happens to hit the Jeep that uh, they were in, like patrolling the camp and they were out of it at the time. And that is what like triggered Clayton to be like, OK, hang on, maybe charlie is a bit more of a threat than i thought i'll get you your gun yeah and that's what we were saying before when we learn why charlie is actually dropping the bomb on the camp because they have that stock of ammunition you know a couple of miles i guess it's supposed to be away from the 4077 so that it kind of is supposed to deter the enemy but it's not really doing that so it's kind of making them a target and it's kind of weird Maybe this was a real practice, but, you know, some some things are just kind of... This is definitely a bit more of a critique of military policy, even if it was kind of nonchalant. So Frank does get the gun, and how he plays this is very much, like, role-playing of, like, I'm the big bad leader, and he gets, like, a platoon of guys that he doesn't seem to know. I'm not sure who these, these guys were. When he's, like, introducing them... He asks them if they know English at all. So I'm like, all right, who are these guys then? If if he doesn't even know if his squad speaks English. Yeah, I assumed that it was General Clayton says yes to this gun, sees the apparent necessity of shooting Charlie out of the sky. And I assumed that it was General Clayton kind of putting a group of allied South Korean soldiers on to the base so that they would be able to kind of use the gun. People who are maybe more trained than a group of just doctors to use this mass weapon. Were they all Korean, though? I thought only, like, one of them was a Korean dude. I could be wrong, though. We only really got to see one guy kind of in prominence more than the others. Yeah, they were all Korean. Oh, were they? Okay. Okay, that that kind of explains it a bit better. Maybe I just wasn't paying attention uh, as well as I should have. But Frank Frank was very much playing a game, sort of, where he was pretending mm-hmm. to be a big man. And it was just very odd. He clearly just wanted to shoot the big gun. <laughs> After this scene where Frank is trying to basically, like, I don't know, divvy up the tasks of a platoon which is this is not really a platoon it's a uh, squad of five people (laughs) yeah so then hawkeye trapper and radar kind of just come out of nowhere and just kind of make this like real mockery of everything that frank is trying to do and it's this great juxtaposition of frank and these three other guys in full like military fatigues and uh hard hats and stuff like that and hawkeye trapper and radar just look ridiculous in cutoff. <laughs> I think Trapper's in his shorts, like underwear, and half has uh like a general's uniform on. It's really just really too much. <laughs> well, Hawkeye is in uniform, 
maybe not to the nines, but this is one of the only times I think so far we've seen him in uniform other than a few times in the first season. So that was kind of fun that he dressed up explicitly to like mock this event. Uh, And they do like this crazy march that goes on, I think, for like two minutes of of Trapper, like (laughs) giving the hop hip orders and Hawkeye and Radar just kind of dance around each other. It was really odd. Um, And then I thought this was like funny, but like in a in like a weird way. Where, where Frank asks one of the guys if he speaks English, and the guy, like, responds, like, oh, yeah, I speak, like, English, French, German, Italian. He could speak so many different languages. And he's just like, Frank kind of doesn't know how to process that. He's like, ah, cool. Just his little, like, reaction <laughs> to that I thought was really funny because clearly he was not anticipating this. He was like, it's hard to explain in audio, but I just really liked Frank's little reaction to that. Yeah, and right after this guy says that he speaks a bunch of languages that, you know, Frank can't even process that he's that smart that he can speak this many languages, he says something racist along the lines of Asian people not being as smart as white people, and it's just such a it's just such a uh, just characterization of Frank and how stupid he is. <laughs> And I did. I thought that that was really funny. No, what was funny about that was how he catches himself because he realized, like, as soon as he starts saying that, he realizes that, like, he's in front of all these Korean people, and he kind of like stops himself. And I thought that was like the funny part. It's just so. It's Frank is so so ridiculous. So yeah. just God, I hate Frank, especially in this episode. He was so annoying. This is definitely. One of the ones where he is at his like worst because he is actively putting people in danger by trying to mm-hmm. feed his own ego with this gun. <laughs> and then afterwards, Hawkeye and Trapper kind of uh, delay Frank from shooting Charlie this one time. But they're like, all right, we need a long term plan. So then afterward, they like meet up and trying to figure it out. And there's a scene in the shower which was kind of like weird and kind of funny. Uh, but then I I really like the one after this where they're getting drunk and really trying to figure it out. And there's this dentist guy just like strumming away on a guitar. And he's like kind of the like peak 60s hippie kind of look. I really yeah. like this character. He didn't have a lot of lines, but he like really stood out as like a very distinct person in the squad so far. <laughs> It's funny to me that every time they need a throwaway character, they It's have, always a dentist. Like, it's always like a Jewish dentist <laughs> because his <laughs> name is Cardozo. <laughs> and it's just really funny to me that it's like, okay, we we need something. Ah, a Jewish dentist. Perfect. And I liked him too because he does have a few lines where he gives them like some weird advice and then they offer him a drink and he says like, no, no, I'm not going to drink. I promise my wife I won't have another drink or another woman until uh, I come back to her. And then immediately afterwards, he's like, ah, g- give me a shot. I have a date later. And just the way <laughs> the way that played out, like, of course, it's a very expected punchline. But I really <laughs> like how this guy played it. Very funny. And I liked Hawkeye and Trapper's reaction to that. They, they both kind of looked at each other and it's like, well. Okay. I don't really know what this 
dentist said to them that really made them think of the plan that they later ensue or that they later put in place. But he does give them pause and he puts the idea in their heads, I should say. So (laughs) Hawkeye and Trapper decide that if Charlie blows up the ammunition and no one shoots at him, then this is all just going to be over. He gets his, Charlie gets his desired outcome and the doctors get their desired outcome of there's not a bomb anymore and we don't have to worry about Frank being Mr. Military Man and shooting this guy out of the sky. So they put this plan in place (laughs) to direct Charlie into shooting his target, like getting the bomb to drop directly where they needed to be. And they have to keep Frank kind of like out of the field to (laughs) make sure that Charlie can successfully drop the bomb on all this ammunition. I always like bits where characters have to trick another one into thinking it's a different (laughs) time. I don't know why. That's just one of my favorite weird specific things that like sitcom characters can do. Because they have this whole bit where they like rewind the clock and they have one of their guys like lie in bed and pretend to be sick. And they have like this nurse come over and say, oh, it's time for so-and-so's 4.30 feeding. It's definitely 4.30. It's no worries. (laughs) And they're trying to trick Frank into thinking that it's earlier than it is. So Charlie can pass overhead without having any trouble. But then he hears the, the engine, which is very distinct. And he's like, I know that sound. So it doesn't really work, but I I like this whole like weird rigmarole that they tried to do. Yeah, and like you said, it really doesn't work because Frank runs out to Not the airfield. Not at all. It's so f- it, this this part was really really funny where he realizes the trick that they're trying to play, and then he is directing these three Korean guys on like where to shoot the gun and how to shoot it and stuff like that. Meanwhile, Hawkeye and Trapper are trying to distract them and cause this chaos so that they don't shoot Charlie out of the sky and start something more with this war that they don't want. And then we see from Charlie's perspective that while he's flying over, there's arrows (laughs) pointed to like where he needs to drop the bomb. And then there's this target on the stockpile of ammunition and the guy still misses. And it's so funny. And of course... What happens? The guys with the gun that are supposed to shoot Charlie out of the sky end up blowing up their own ammunition. So all's well that ends well. <laughs> uh, Hawkeye and Trapper kept saying like six o'clock north, like throwing out these like mm-hmm. fake directions, very much like hey batter batter swing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what that reminded me of, and yeah, it was really funny that. All this direction and the the poor man, whoever this man actually is, because his name's not Charlie, just just cannot get the simple job done, even when there's a target painted on it. And this explosion, when they blow up the, the army supplies, was like a good explosion. I don't know what kind of budget they had for this, if they're like, uh, you know, were raised a bit for season two, but I feel like this is higher <laughs> end pyrotechnics than than we ever saw before. You know what's funny too is that in earlier in the episode when they blew up the jeep, you could very much tell that it was kind of like cutaway that they didn't oh, actually yeah. blow up the jeep that they put a destroyed jeep 
in the scene. <laughs> it was it was very funny. But yeah, no, I thought the same thing with this part where it was very much like big pyrotechnics. And I was like, wow, this, this is kind of crazy. And again, That's this, like is, high this is why MASH... This was why MASH was so cool because they were outside. They were not on a soundstage. They were able to do this. So I really appreciated that. I liked it. I say it every time that there's someone in the air in this show, like whenever they film a helicopter or in this case a plane, I'm always impressed because they actually are filming a guy in a plane going by. It isn't like a model or anything. It's always like, or at least (laughs) it comes across like a real guy. They shoot it very well. Um, and yeah, you're right. The the Jeep bit was really funny because you hear the like sound effect of it coming down and then it just cuts to like the Jeep catching on fire. Like you don't even <laughs> see like the bomb actually land because you, you had to save your budget somewhere. <laughs> yeah. One other thing that I was thinking about during this whole episode actually was, you know, Charlie is this really, really poor aim and it's played off really comedic. And it's supposed to be this comic relief of this guy just can't hit his target no matter what. And it really made me think of the fact that in season one, a lot, there were these people who were soldiers who kind of basically didn't want to be there because they were drafted and, you know, war is just terrible and stuff like that. And who maybe weren't necessarily the best fit to be soldiers because there was a draft. And I couldn't help but think that, you know, the same thing was probably happening on the North Korean side too, where people who are probably just like regular civilians were just kind of chosen for the army. And, you know, you have to fly this plane and drop this bomb. And this poor guy, like, yeah, he couldn't hit his target, but was he ever really like trained to hit a target? You know, like what was he doing before that? So it really made me think, yeah, this is funny, but also this is probably reality too. Yeah. In the when they're placing bets, the announcement guy who's like kind of being a showman about it is like, ah, here comes Charlie and his astigmatism. Uh, so <laughs> clearly, I don't know if the guy actually has astigmatism. We don't meet him, but like clearly, this man is not the most capable of soldiers. Mm-hmm. So I, I like your point a lot. Is that like, yeah, he probably is not someone who's meant for this life. And they make light of that. But like in reality, uh, it is kind of sad that people were drafted on all sides. That's our weekly Korean War commentary of drafting people (laughs) is kind of lame. Don't do it. So after that, it's basically all over. They blow up the ammunition. You know, everything. Everything's good again. So... There is the final scene that I thought was actually really cute when Frank is like mad at Hawkeye and Trapper and they're trying to get him to kind of like not be mad at them anymore. And they're like, come on, Frank, come like, come eat dinner with us, whatever. And he's like, oh, I can't stay mad at you guys. And Hawkeye and Trapper are like, well, we could probably fix that. And the episode ends. And I thought that was just like wholesome and sweet. I don't know. Anytime, I think I've said it before on this podcast, but anytime that hawkeye trapper and frank are kind of all like getting along i think it's adorable that's uh that's another thing i liked about the clock scene was that while they're tricking frank uh they're being like nice to him and being like oh you're really good at figuring out pus (laughs) (laughs) that's your arena um and frank is like oh this is so nice (laughs) anytime that they give him (laughs) just a little bit of a little bit of leeway where they're a little nice to him he's always like Hell yeah, this is great. I love it. Thank you. (laughs) 
<laughs> if he wants to be their buddy, but he, he just can't. Redemption arc for Frank Burns. We want to see it. <laughs> in the in the graphic novels. <laughs> <laughs> so I do have a little bit of trivia for this episode before we wrap up. So Five O'Clock Charlie was likely a play on the name Washing Machine Charlie that was given to Japanese aircrafts during World War II. So these aircrafts called Washing Machine Charlie were these solitary planes like we saw in this episode that would drop bombs on U.S. airfields or drop flares to alert the Japanese army of the U.S.'s like positions and you know where they were and also just to harass the U.S. soldiers at night while they were trying to sleep because you hear the sounds it's very it's a very distinct sound it's a very loud sound so I thought that was really interesting and we also got that kind of throwback to the second world war with the placement of the ammunition and stuff so i thought that was really interesting that's neat uh i figured the name charlie comes from somewhere so i like that this show does pull from uh some realistic background of wartime efforts that's pretty fun yeah i thought it was really neat so do you have any favorite lines before we go into ratings i this is very simple But I loved when Henry won the betting pool for the first time. And he just goes, Zowie! What a, like, (laughs) I love when people say Zowie. And he said it so (laughs) sincerely that I was like, oh, man, my good 50s boy, Henry, living (laughs) his best life. Zowie! Oh, wow. (laughs) We don't really have those sounds i feel anymore for expressing surprise at least i don't use them (laughs) i can't ever think of a time where i did use them but that does feel like a very 1950s-esque kind of thing i love that that's adorable i really liked so there were a couple right in the beginning when frank is just kind of freaking out about charlie and hawkeye and trapper say to him like calm down it's charlie and he is going like full military mode <laughs> and he has his gun and it starts shooting wa- sorry it starts shooting water and he says who put water in my gun and hawkeye goes to him how do you know it's water <laughs> and something about that just struck me as hysterical <laughs> there was another bit later on in the episode where they reoccurred the the gun bit and it was like at the end and frank is like hey listen and he, like, straight up points the gun at Trapper's, like, face. And it's, like, revealed that the gun is, like, a prop gun of, like, says bang with a little flag. But if it <laughs> wasn't a prop gun, was he going to shoot Trapper in the face? Like, what, what was <laughs> oh my happening <God>. there? <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I didn't pick up on that. I thought that he was, like, shooting at Charlie. But I guess, yeah, no, that's, that would have not been good. <laughs> I mean, it's for the punchline, so I guess it's fine, but that really stuck out to me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that he was gonna, you know, just kill Trapper. (laughs) So, Vanessa, I wanted to ask you, out of five martinis, what would you rate this episode? So, I grappled with this a little bit. I always feel like I like the episode more after we talk about it, but I think that I would give this episode a three or a 3.5 out of five martinis. So, I'm like... I'm definitely buzzed on this episode. You're buzzed. I feel that. I think I agree. I would give this a solid 3.5. Very solid, good time, but nothing that like blows you away and you're like, oh, that's one of the great ones. 
And so, you know, I'm feeling I'm feeling a little bit of that buzz. <laughs> All right. So just to wrap up, we'd like to give thanks to Jacob for your balco for being our technical consultant, Melissa, my sister for cover art, and of course our listeners, thank you so much. Our music, social media, and contacts for the show are linked in the description as always. And you can join us next week to hear Ethan and I discuss Radar's report. But until then, hit a priest with a jeep and hope that he'll turn the other cheek. Goodbye, farewell, and amen. Bye, everyone.